Welcome to Best Served Cold, a Bore Millennials podcast, where we drink wine and talk about crime. Presented to you by Tama J and Laura Lees. Welcome back to the Best Served That's Cold it. podcast. The podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Yes. The one that I briefly forgot the name of. Um, it also would have been briefly introduced in our pre-recorded intro. Oh, yeah. So. But I recorded that so long ago now, I yeah. can't remember. So people are going to be listening to this episode thinking, oh, cool, best served cold. And then they come in and you're like, oh, what fucking show is this again? Mm. Anyway, welcome to Best Served Cold. Welcome. The semi-professional, mostly not, kind of all mm. right, true crime podcast. Almost semi, not quite, half chub. Yeah. Podcast. Just like below. Like a quarter chub podcast. Yeah, like three, yeah, three quarters flaccid. Um, welcome back to, this is episode six now, I think, right? Isn't it seven? Is it six? I think it's six, because I think last time was um was the fifth episode. I believe this is the sixth episode of our little old podcast that we started not too long ago, in isolation, trying to forget yeah. about, you know, the fucking... And now we have to um keep it struggle. going outside of isolation yeah. and i love that the cats have been quiet all night and now they've decided it's around. like they sense it yeah like they have a spidey <clears throat> sense for like when we don't want them to be doing things and then they start doing things yeah i feel like i've grown like 20 years anyway in my life um, just so we promised cats. you last week that this week we would have our old audio equipment back and I'm sorry to tell you that we lied to you because we couldn't get it fixed in time. So you never know. You may get some background noises of the kitten playing with things. You may get some more ASMR. We'll see what A happens. Lot more ASMR. Look, it makes no real difference. It's just you might hear. It just things. picks up background noises. Yeah. Um. Fuck. Well, fuck yeah. I mean. Pubs are opening back up soon. Yes, I'm so Things excited to go to the pub. So excited. Things are really picking up in the... I think it's next Monday, isn't it? That it's June 1st. Yeah. Also, I love that they're just such assholes that they waited till Monday. Like, either yeah. do it Friday or just like, why Monday? Maybe it's because they want people to celebrate the fact that pubs are opening up again. By not going to pubs because yeah. it's Monday. Party on a weekend yeah. with your max of 10 people. Oh, well, yeah. at least it's something I'm grateful for anything. Um, also, I just wanted to say, if you are listening to this and you like it, I would humbly ask that you, I always feel like such a bit of a shithead asking this, but I would ask that you leave us a review because we have had a lot of fun doing this in isolation and mm. we'd like to continue doing this. But as much fun as it is, <clears throat> Because we have so many other things on, like I'm a graphic designer and I work full-time and I do uni full-time and Tama works full-time and has a band and does a bunch of other things. We sort of need to be also able to justify continue doing it. Yeah. So if no one likes it and no one <clears throat> listens to it, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it would really help us out, especially uh, with podcasts now and every, everything to do with like like content creation like being a youtuber and all that kind of stuff it's very saturated at the moment mm, yeah. so it would really help it, even just getting that so we can help define our show a bit more 
Yeah, but I have this weird obsession with getting our podcast on the new and noteworthy list on iTunes, which mm. not iTunes, um, yeah, Apple iTunes. Podcasts, oh, right. which apparently you need lots of reviews and downloads to do so. So okay. please, if you are listening, I would humbly request you leave us. Yeah, and anyone who's good at hacking, um, yeah, if you can hack us some reviews, that'd be great. Yeah, or like downloads, then yeah, I mean. Uh, <coughs> Daniel Jacinto. <laughs> if if Apple Podcast is listening, um, that was a for for legal reasons. That was a joke. Yeah, and we humbly request that people do not do that. <laughs> Daniel Jacinto. Um. Daniel Jacinto. We probably shouldn't have like used his full name. He doesn't care. Okay. Um. So this week. I feel like I thought this was going to be a short one for me because I started looking into it and they I was always like, seem short, don't they? And well, it's only one murder. It's not. A, she's not a serial killer. It's she's a murderess. Um, Ew, shout out was... to my good friend Noni if you're oh, listening. Yes, she was actually the this. person that suggested this. I had never heard of this person before, and I have no idea how I've gone my entire life in Australia having never heard of this person before. And these are areas that we're both relatively fam- familiar with as well. Yeah. Um, so, shout out to Noni. Thank you for suggesting it. Um, this episode, or my portion of the episode, is dedicated to you. Okay, so again, I have no idea how I've gone my whole life without knowing who this person is or knowing anything about her. But today I'm going to be talking about Australia's first female killer that was sentenced to life in prison. And that is Catherine Knight, a.k.a. Cannibal Cathy. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, like I said, I really thought this was going to be a short one because technically she only ever killed one man. Mm. But the more I got into her backstory and what happened prior to the murder, she has a really fucked up backstory and she was just... Not right in the head in general. So there's a lot to cover. There's actually like heaps of stuff to cover before you even get to the murdery part. Pardon me, I just burped. Wow. Okay, so do you want to do a little spiel out what you want to, or shall I just jump right into it? Let's just jump jump right into it because people know, people have read what mine's about, but they probably don't know. Mm, I don't know anything about yours. I'm excited. So we'll just save it for later. So. Catherine Knight, she is messed up. So, Catherine Knight was born October 1955. She was born into a very unconventional and dysfunctional family, kind of like from the get-go. Okay. So, her mother, Barbara, they lived in a small town of Aberdeen. She was married to a man called Jack. They had four sons together before Barb started an affair with a friend and a co-worker of her husband, Ken Knight. Sorry, Shit. I just confused myself. Okay. So she was married to Jack at that time and she met Ken Knight, who's Catherine's father. Um, and her, him and her husband her. were co-workers and friends and they had an affair. Shit. So because it's such a small town, like a small rural Word gets around. Town, yeah. And like Barbara and Jack at the time <clears> are like <throat> the... Oh, I don't know this, but I'm assuming they're like the itch couple. Mm. That's how I picture them. Like walking through the main street in ball gowns. <laughs> um... So it becomes this huge scandal. So Barb leaves her husband and her and Ken move to Maury. So they have four additional children, including twin girls, one of which is Catherine Knight. And it's weird that, like, 
nothing really gets mentioned about her twin at all. There's like one comment in passing that we'll get to, but like nothing hmm. really comes up, which I just I guess people don't really want to be associated with what happened, I guess. Yeah, that I guess so. That makes sense. Um, so in nineteen fifty nine, Barbara's ex husband dies and two of her sons who'd been living with him, um, two of them the other two lived with their aunt in Sydney. They move in. So there's now eight of them living in one house. Yes. And this is when we sort of start the same usual bullshit that seems to happen with all these people. So Catherine's father, Ken Knight, was an alcoholic who was abusive and raped their mother up to ten times a day. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So obviously, Ten times a day. Yeah. So obviously Barbara is not quite right in the head and she would often share grossly intimate details of their sex life and how much she hated sex and men with the children so knight claims once when she was talking to her mother of an act that a partner at the time wanted her to do that Catherine didn't her mother told her to put up with it and stop complaining so it kind of like goes full circle that obviously her mother's passing on these unhealthy views of men and sex that she has so Catherine has claimed that she was frequently sexually assaulted by different members of the family up until she was 11. So Barbara's great-grandmother was Indigenous and Barbara, Catherine's mother, was actually quite proud of this. Um, but obviously being the time that it was, the area was like rife with racism and it was kept a secret that Barbara was Indigenous and that caused also tension between the family. So it's just this kind of like boiling pot of family secrets everyone's like sweeping things under the rug people are getting abused it's it's not a good time a lot of stuff to deal with at an early age at a, yeah at a very early age um a lot of the timelines on this sort of stuff are kind of fuzzy so i'm not <clears throat> sure how old she was when all this stuff is happening i just know that she was allegedly being assaulted up until she was 11 shit yeah So in 1969, the only family member that Catherine was really close to, Oscar Knight, committed suicide. And she maintains that his ghost frequently visited her after he passed. This is all going so well. Yeah. So it's like, her mum's crazy. She doesn't... Dad's a rapist. Her dad's an alcoholic rapist and other family members are rapists. She doesn't get along with her siblings. And then the only person she is really close to commits suicide. Yeah. So in 1969, the whole family moves back to Aberdeen, which is where her mother grew up before they had to move because of the scandal. Okay, so in school, Catherine, from what I can see, was a bit of a contradictory character. So she was known as a bully by other students and was often would like, um, what's the word? Like use her size against smaller students. Oh, okay. Because she was not like... Like son of Sam. Yeah. A bigger person. Um, She, what I could find, she assaulted at least one boy, like a student, with a weapon, and also once injured a teacher, which she claims was in self-defense. But the more you get to know her, the more you're like, yeah, sure, sweetie. Okay. Um, However, when she was not on her, like, murderous rampage usual bullshit, she was actually a model student and earned a lot of awards while she was at Hmm. school. Okay. So age 15, without having learnt to read or write, which I found odd at age 15. She's a star student, but she can't read or write. Yeah, I don't really know how that... How does that work? Gelled. I don't know, maybe like star student behaviour-wise. She's a star student in Aberdeen, like maybe a population of like 15 people. Yeah, so so there's not like much debate stuff. Yeah, there's like two kids in the classroom. So 
she leaves high school at age 15 having not learned to read or write which i was like how do you get to 15 without learning to read or write and she gets a job at a cutting factory like um like clothes and materials like they cut the oh okay like the bits of yeah i don't know i don't know what it's called i don't live in the 50s it's called a thing it's called a thing so a year later she gets her and i quote dream job cutting up offal at an abattoir <laughs> well, she's geez, okay she's then quickly promoted to boning and she's also given her own set of butcher knives which she keeps hanging above her bed so they would and i quote would always be handy if i needed them it, oh my god yeah we're off to a great start what right the fuck? so she also allegedly loved watching the pigs be slaughtered so in 1973, aged 18, she meets her first husband, David Stanford Kettle, who was a co-worker at the abattoir. And they have beautiful, romantic marriage full of love. And if you can't sense the sarcasm in my voice... It's there. It's there. So David was known as a heavy drinker, but not in like a nasty way. He had his reasons. So before working... In the abattoir, he used to work on the railways at Coffs Harbour and he'd witnessed his best friend killed in a shunting accident. And I looked up shunting because I had no idea yeah, what, what it was. what is shunting? And it's like where they direct the different um, like carriages that are carrying cargo onto like different fronts. Does that make sense? So there's not really like heaps of details about the death of his friend. Um, I'm assuming he would have been like crushed maybe by like one of the carriages. Anyway, it's very sad. So he witnessed that. Shunting is a weird term for like a death or a thing that like to die from. Yeah. He died shunting. And David also witnessed a school bus full of children hit a train in which six children were killed and he oh. helped rescue some kids as well as pull off the dead bodies. Oh, so we'll perhaps forgive the excessive yeah, I, drinking. We'll allow him the occasional. He had his reasons. Sip of the bourbon. So after causing several derailments during during shuntings, he was a sh- he was a shunter. He was a shunter because he fell asleep. Oopsie. Uh, he was transferred from his job in Coffs Harbour to Musselbrook. However, his behaviour gets worse, and he's eventually fired, getting a job at the abattoir with our good friend Katie. Lovely. So after he begins dating Catherine, he would also occasionally partner with her twin, which is, I'm assuming they mean have sex with her twin, which I thought was Wait, really weird. They would partner? Yeah. But, uh, That's just like, that comment is super casually dropped in like a whole big article about her. What is her. the comment? Well, I didn't, I didn't write it verbatim, but right. it just says after he begins dating Catherine, he'd also occasionally partner with her twin. Which I took to mean he also fucks her twin sister. Yeah. Or they have threesomes, which is even worse. This is like a Phoebe Buffet. Yeah, I don't want to think about it too much. So in town, Knight is known for physically threatening anyone who would upset her. So she has a reputation for having a temper and not being afraid to use it. Mm -hmm. When they were married in 1974, they both rocked up to the service on a motorcycle with Kellett drunkenly driving the motorcycle so he's oh, off great. his tits at their Fantastic. wedding when they arrived barbara Catherine's mother gives kellett some advice and this is a direct quote you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you stir <laughs> her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked 
Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. So that's what her mother said about her. So on their, this, I fucking love this next part. On their wedding night, so just after this moving speech that Catherine's mother has given her new husband, because he fell asleep after only having sex with her three times, Catherine was not satisfied and strangles him. Okay. Not killing him, but but strangles him. So surprise, surprise, the marriage proves to be incredibly violent. On one occasion, after arriving home late from a darts competition because he'd reached the finals, that's why he was late, because he was winning, oh, good on a heavy, heavily pregnant Catherine burns all his clothes and shoes, hits him across the head with a frying pan. Okay. Kellett flees the house, collapsing in the neighbor's house, and he's then later treated for a fractured skull. <laughs> so she, like, Shit. hit him with a frying pan. Fuck? It must have been, like, a cast iron or something. Yeah. Intense. Well, that time, yeah, it would probably... Because when is this in the... This is back in, like, the 80s. 80s. Fuck, dude. So the police want him to press charges, but unsurprisingly, Kellett is fucking terrified of her. And also, she allegedly shows up and, like, is like, oh, I'm so sorry, like, I just have a temper, and, like, talks (laughs) him out of it. Yeah. So in 1976... Sorry, the 70s, not the 80s. So in 1976, just after the birth of their first child, Kellett fucks off with another woman and moves to Queensland. As you would, As because you she's would. insane. Yeah. And this doesn't bode well with Catherine, and she takes just a deep dive into, like, the fucking what the fuck. So she's seen the next day around town violently swinging the pram with their newborn baby inside from side to side. She's admitted to hospital and diagnosed with postnatal depression, and she spends several weeks in hospital recovering. However... Upon being released, she pops two-month-old Melissa on the railway line shortly before a train was due. She steals an axe, goes into town, and threatens to kill anyone she comes across. The baby is fine. I, a local man named Old Ted found and rescued the baby. So Knight is arrested and taken to hospital again, but Jesus. makes a miraculous recovery overnight and signs herself out the next day. How this woman was allowed to keep her child... Yeah. Because I, I know, know those hospital, the whole situation with those is so fucking bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's the seventies, so they didn't really have a good grasp but on all, mental like, illness. Yeah, and exactly. But even still today, it's like really kind of yeah. tricky. Like you could admit yourself or be admitted, and then be like the next day, "Oh, I'm fine," and then take yourself out. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't stop though. A few days later, she slashes the face of a woman in town and demands this Shit. woman drive her to Queensland to track down Kellett. The woman manages to escape at a service station and call the police, but by the time the police arrive, um, Catherine has already taken a younger boy hostage and is threatening to kill him. This is possibly the best part of the story. Police attack her with brooms <laughs> and, so manage, and manage <laughs> to like t- take her out. I guess they <laughs> did it. I guess they did it so they wouldn't hurt the little boy. <laughs> It's <laughs> the best thing oh, ever. Picture the two cops whacking her with fucking brooms. Mm. Oh my god! So they um, they get a weapon, and she's admitted to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Okay. She tells the nurses there that she planned to kill the mechanic at the service station because he'd repaired Kellett's car, which allowed him to leave. She was then going to kill Kellett and his mother. Fuck. And this is the part where you're like, maybe our boy David deserved to die. 
He doesn't, but maybe he did. Because upon hearing this, Kellett leaves his current girlfriend and moves back to Aberdeen with his mother to take care of her. What? So she's just admitted she wants to kill uh, him and he's like, you know what? I should go back. I love this bitch. And take care of her. So in August, Knight is released into the care of her mother-in-law and ex-husband. Oh, yeah, ex-husband. They move to Brisbane where she gets another job at an abattoir. How she's allowed to work at an abattoir after all of this. I imagine stabbing things that aren't humans would be good like therapy for her, I imagine. And on the 6th of March, 1980, they have another daughter, Natasha Marie. Again, how she's still allowed to have her children at this point is just beyond me. Mm. So David Kellett has been quoted as remembering another scene. um, One morning, another scene during the marriage, rather. One morning he woke to find Catherine sitting astride his chest, a knife in her hand, grazing David's throat. Catherine just laughed at him, saying how easy it would have been for her to kill him. Oh. Oh, no. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I'm I'm driving the fuck to... I'm swimming to New Zealand at this yeah. point. So in 1984, um, Catherine actually leaves Keller and moves back to Aberdeen. Did I already say that? I think I already said that. Did you? I don't know. I don't think you did. I'm confusing myself. Okay. So she goes back to Aberdeen and returns to the original abattoir she used to work at, but she injures her back and can't work and goes on the disability pension and moves into um, housing commission. Oh, that's the life. Yeah. That's the life. So there's two more relationships before we get to the big one that I'm just going to like briefly cover. Like okay. I said, there's a lot of shit to get through before you get to... The good... The, well, not the good shit, the, but... The big... The big event. So in 1986, Knight meets 38-year-old minor David Saunders. A few months later, he moves in with her, although he keeps his old apartment in Scone. Um, because surely... Everything about her would just be like one big red flag. So he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to keep my own house. <laughs> Knight soon, soon becomes jealous regarding what he does when she's not around. So when he goes back to his own apartment, she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, okay. She'd often kick him out. He'd move back to his apartment and then she'd beg him to come back and the cycle would continue yeah. over and over again. In 1987, Knight slits the throat of Saunders' two-month-old dingo pup as an example of what would oh. happen to him if he ever had an affair. She then knocks him out with a frying pan. Gee, she loves the frying pan. Yeah. In 1988, Catherine gives birth to a third daughter, Sarah, which prompts David to put a deposit on a house for them, which Catherine uses her interior design flair on, covering (laughs) nearly every exposed space, including the ceilings, with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. Next week on Grand Design. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so the tipping point for old Davy is when they have a fight, Catherine hits him in the face with an iron and stabs him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Sorry to interrupt you, but the tipping point isn't the fucking animal skin. Mm. Like, or the puppy having its throat slit. The tipping point is like, oh, well, she stabbed me, so the bitch is a bit crazy. Yeah. So like, he what moves, the fuck are you doing, He dude? moves back to Stone, Scone and goes into hiding, and she tries to find him on numerous occasions, but no one will admit to knowing where he is because he has <laughs> good friends, that. apparently. Yeah, dude, no way. Um, And what's really sad is several months later, he actually comes out of hiding and tries to return to visit his daughter because they had a daughter together. But Catherine has gone to the police saying that he was the violent one 
and she's granted an AVO against him, so he can't see his own oh, daughter. Oh, that's sad. Despite the fact that she was the one that stabbed him. And he has with a, a puncture wound in his stomach. Yeah. <clears throat> like. So, the, her last husband, there's actually not a lot of information on it. It's speculated that it was actually kind of a cruisy marriage mm-hmm. for her. Um, so, 43 year old former co worker, John Chillingworth. Uh, they meet in 1990. They have a son named Eric. So she's got four kids at this stage. Their relationship lasts for three years without any sort of wow, okay. big events. She's making progress. And while they're married, Catherine meets John Price, who they have an affair together. And that's wow. what ultimately she leaves the other John for. So John Charles, John Charles rather, Thomas Price, was born April 1955. He was the father of three of his own children when him and Knight began having an affair while she was still married to the other John. So he was known as a, and I quote, terrific bloke, liked by everyone. A good cover. Yeah. Price's children apparently liked Catherine. He was making a pretty penny at the local mines and apart from their violent arguments that they had, that is exactly how it was worded, by the way, violent arguments, quote, life was a bunch of roses. (laughs) So his own marriage ends in 1988. His two-year-old daughter remains in his ex-wife's custody and his two older children live with him. Allegedly, because it was quite a small town, he was actually quite aware of Catherine's violent history when they got married. Why the fuck you would marry her? No idea. I don't know how the fuck... This woman also, can I just... Not that looks are not everything, but she's not an attractive woman. So she must have had away with words the fact that she managed to get four separate men to marry her and considering i'm just listening to this going like we went so long being perpetually single Mm. i'm like this bitch is finding she's a fucking nutcase working at an abattoir with pre-packaged families yeah uh, a history of adultery and stabbing people animal skin in her fucking house mm. and pe- guy, blokes just going yeah right yeah no worries that sounds pretty good yeah anyway we're about to um really it's all downhill from here let's oh just boy. say that. so in 1988 knight and price fight over his refusal to marry her yes pointed, you would pointed look at you this is not the <laughs> Not the time to be born this shit. So, um, you know, he probably didn't want to marry her because he knew she was fucking mental. She allegedly went as far as, and this part made me chuckle, she went as far as stealing his money and just buying herself an engagement ring with his money. Which is something that you have quoted. Yeah, something mm, I've joked about doing, so be careful. Quote unquote joked. So in retaliation for him not wanting to marry her, she videotapes products that he had allegedly, quote, stolen from work. So even though they're actually out-of-date medical kits that he grabbed from the rubbish pile, still... she films all these products. And because okay. of protocol, his boss of 17 <clears throat> years is forced to fire him. Because oh, he just shit. Like, doesn't have a choice. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's the company um, property. Yeah. So. so that day, he kicks her out of the house and she returns to her old house while news spreads around the small town of what's happened. So a few months later, fucking God knows why... Price restarts the relationship with Catherine 
but refuses to let her move into the house. So their fighting becomes crazier to the and more frequent to the point where most of um, John's friends won't have anything to do with him while she's around. Mm, been which there. makes sense. So Catherine was trying to wrestle control of the house, which Price owned, and got into conflict with Price's kids, accusing them of molesting her own children. So in February 2000, Price finally draws a line in the sand after Knight stabs him in the chest and kicks her out of the house. These men seem to have a thing with being like, stabbing, that's, yeah. my, that's my hard limit. Yeah. Well, you fucked me up, so... Yeah. So February 29th, he stops by Scone Magistrate's Court and files a restraining order against Catherine to try and keep her away from him and his children. As you fucking should. That afternoon, Price tells his co-workers, so I guess he got another job, that if he doesn't show to work tomorrow, it will be because Price murders him. Okay. Spoiler alert. That's exactly what, what happens. What happens? So his co-workers actually plead with him not to return home because they have obviously seen what she's like and would have realized that he'd been stabbed in the chest. Yeah, the previous stabbings have been a sign, if anything. Yeah, so his co-workers plead with him not to return home, but he states he's terrified that Catherine would kill his children if he didn't, which I was a bit confused about this part because they weren't living together at that stage because he kicked her out, but this isn't... But they're in the same really general area. explained. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. So I, that makes kind of... It kind of makes sense because she would know where they would live. Yeah. So, so. Price returns to his <clears throat> home to find that his children aren't there. They've been sent away by Catherine for a sleepover at a friend's house. And oh. Catherine is also gone. He spends the evenings... He spends the evening with his neighbours because he doesn't want to go home in case she is there before returning home finally at 11 p.m. and going to bed. So earlier that day, Catherine had bought new black lingerie and she'd also she also makes a weird videotape of all her children while she's like commenting over the top and people have interpreted it's her like will. Oh shit. Yeah. So she's hoping to kill herself. Yeah, so she arrives at Price's home while he's asleep. Watches TV for a few minutes, then she has a shower and then wakes up Price and they have sex and fall asleep. But what? Yeah. Why you'd have sex with her, I don't know. He was probably she, terrified of her, to be she fair. She managed to have a shower, watch TV, have a shower, wake and, him up by fucking him. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he was probably terrified of her. So he was like, please just like sit on my dick for a bit and then God. leave me alone. Imagine that. This chick wants to kill you. You just wake up. She's riding your dick. Yeah, it's not a good time. Yeah. So 6am the next day, neighbours become concerned because Price's car is still in his driveway and he hadn't arrived at work. So an employer sends someone to his house to check. Both the neighbours and his co-worker try knocking on his bedroom window to wake him up, thinking maybe he's just slept in. But after noticing blood on the front doorknob, they call the police. Ooh. Police break down the door at 8am, finding Price's body and Catherine Knight comatose on the floor after having taken heaps of pills. So oh, I'm assuming okay. that she does, she's tried to commit suicide. She's tried suicide. to kill herself, yeah. Um, I'm just going to add in our friendly little disclaimer here that if you're not a fan of gore, now is the time to maybe scrub ahead five minutes because it's, it's really not good from here on out. So according to the autopsy report, Knight had stabbed Price with her butcher's knife while he slept. According to like the blood evidence on the wall, he wakes up and tries to turn the light on before attempting to escape. 
She chases him through the house. He manages to get all the way to the front door and open the door, which is why there was blood on the doorknob. Wow. But he either has stumbled back inside or Catherine drags him back in, where he finally bleeds out and dies. Oh, jeez. The autopsy report states that he was stabbed <clears throat> roughly 37 times Holy in the front shit. and back with several internal organs pierced. Fuck. Um, at some stage that night... Um, Catherine also takes his wallet and drives into town and withdraws a thousand dollars from his bank account, which mm-hmm. is just like fucking salt in the wound. Fuck. Okay. So here we go. Several hours after he dies, we're remembering also that this is a woman who's worked in an abattoir for several years. So several hours after he dies, Catherine skins him, taking everything in one big pelt except a small square of skin which she leaves, which contains the scar of the last time she stabbed him. So she hangs his skin from a meat hook on the architrave of a door in the lounge room. Oh my god. She then decapitates him and cooks part of his body, which she carves from his butt. Serving up the meat with baked potato, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. Pleasant. She then makes two place settings on the dinner table. Each plate has a note, like a little place card, with the name of Price's children on it. So she was going to feed him to his own children. Fuck you. Which is is just so fucked up. Jesus Christ. There's a third meal which they find, which has been tossed out the door onto the back back lawn so they've estimated that Catherine herself tried to also eat a meal but couldn't bring herself to finish it but you can cook a man's ass but you can't eat it yeah we draw the line at yeah I will not ingest this um so Price's head is found in the pot with vegetables at the time they find the water is around 40 to 50 degrees which is indicating that the cooking has likely taken place like in the early morning fuck so she's arranged his body sitting in his favorite chair with his left arm draped over an empty 1.25 liter soft drink bottle and his legs crossed. What the fuck is happening? <coughs> Knight leaves a note on top of a photo of Price, which is bloodstained and covered in small pieces of flesh. And this is the exact note. It says, time got you back, Jonathan, for raping which is spelt R-A-P-P-I-N-G, my daughter, which is spelt D-O-U-T-E-R. You to Beck, which is Price's daughter, for Ross, for Little John, now play with Little John's dick, John Price. This is all found out to be a lie. So this none of that is true. Right. So I don't know if she was trying to make herself look more innocent or... She's not all there, clearly. No. No, clearly. <laughs> so Knight originally so Knight originally tries to plead manslaughter, which what? is thankfully rejected. And he ran into my knife thirty-seven yeah, times, and then I just had to chop off his head. Yeah. And I couldn't let good him. meat go to waste. Um, thankfully, she's not allowed to be tried for manslaughter, and she's tried with the murder of. John Price. Put that bitch away. She initially pleads not guilty, claiming that she remembers nothing of the night. Her trial takes place October 2001. When the trial commenced, the judge, Justice Barry O'Keefe, offers the 60 jury prospects the the option of being excused from the trial. Oh my god, I can't speak. Um, It's a good thing you do this as a hobby. Yeah, I know. Fuck. 
not doing well today. No, you're not. Um, Just the, the episode you asked people to help you make this a bit yeah. more of a professional show. You're failing <laughs> at doing the show. Um, so Justice Barry O'Keefe offers the 60 jury prospects the option of being excused due to the nature of the photographic evidence that they'd obviously have to present. Yeah. And five of them are like, yeah, bitch, I'll tap out. Thank <laughs> you for the opportunity that, to me. not have to sit through this. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. So the justice that tried the case is quoted as saying it was carried out with considerable expertise and an obviously steady hand so that his skin including that of the head face nose ears neck torso genital organs and legs was removed so as to form one pelt so expertly was it done that after the post-mortem examination the skin was able to be re-sewn onto price's body in a way which indicated a clear and appropriate, albeit grisly, methodology. Shit. Which is how they could tell he'd been stabbed 37 times. Fucking hell. Um, after several of the jurors drop out, the court is adjourned to the next day. But by the time the next <coughs> day rolls around, Knight suddenly changes her plea from not guilty to guilty. With, like, no reasoning. She's like, ah, fuck it. She undergoes psychiatric evaluation to determine if she mentally understands what it actually means to plead guilty. She does, and she's sentenced. No one to this day knows why she suddenly changed her mind, and despite being the one to make the guilty plea, she's always refused to accept responsibility for the murder up until this day. Even though she pled guilty. Yeah. So in Timothy Lyons, who was the lawyer on the persecution Mm -hmm. side starts describing the skinning, Catherine becomes hysterical and has to be sedated in court. On November 8th, Justice O'Keefe sentences her to life in prison with no parole and her papers are literally marked as never to be released. Yeah, as you fucking should. Yeah. In 2006, Knight appeals the no parole thing, claiming that it's too severe of a punishment for the one killing. And thankfully, three justices dismissed the appeal, one of them writing, this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. Sure, it's one killing, but it what she did and in the lead is up. so fucking bizarre and, and horrendous. And like exactly what you were saying, the build-up is... It yeah. speaks for itself. So she literally basically did what you see, like those polar bear rugs. Like she got his head, Holy his body, shit. his arms, his legs, his genitals. So she, she skinned his entire body, including his head, yeah. bar that one place where she stabbed him. Yeah. And then cut his head off. Yeah. So it's a skinless head boiling in a pot with vegetables. Yeah. Oh my God. And then a skinless body propped up in a chair with its legs crossed, holding a fucking 1.25 liter of coke or the, something. The level of, of detail put it... Like, at least with Ed Gein, the body was hanging up as you would hang up uh, a bu- like but- after butchering a deer. This is just... It's terrible. Fucking It's next so level. terrible. Like... And because she worked in an abattoir for so many years, she had the skills to do it as well. Shit. It's so fucked up. Fucking hell. Yeah. Like, 
And another article I was reading was saying that, like, unsurprisingly, a lot of the police that attended the scene had to take um take their long service leave. Like, they never worked again because they were so messed up by what, what they found. Can I, considering just like like I said with Ed Gein, um, <clears throat> that one detective who wanted to put him away so badly mm. that it just weighed on him so much that he literally passed out from the stress of the case like yeah you can imagine in australia that like you know obviously we have the story of wolf creek and, and that wolf creek is based off of mm. um but yeah but she's um that was it was a very full-on story Lyatt, to um but like th- in australia this is not really a huge and i think that's thing. why there's so much detail available on the case because it just doesn't happen in australia yeah. stuff like this just doesn't happen it's kind of weird that we have we Australia has these things like um, the Port Arthur shootings, mm-hmm. where we have one of the biggest massacres on the planet. And Is it on the planet? It was. I think it was. I, it was one of the biggest massacres. I think it was. It was. It's the number of deaths hasn't been beaten. I don't think so. I don't think yet. Um, <clears throat> but we have these instances where like this shit happens and it's just such a dramatic thing for us because we're fortunate yeah. enough to be in essentially what New York is, but uh, uh, an entire country where like guns aren't really a thing. Well, it's there's still, I, I see what you mean, but yeah, guns are yeah. definitely still a thing. Uh, but in, in terms of like, I mean, more so like New York compared to the rest of America. Yeah. It's like got, New York compared like, to Texas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where it's just not really a huge thing. Like, we hear about fucking stabbings and, you know. Yeah. No, it's, um, but I think the the terrifying image, and I'm so, like, I was low-key a little disappointed, but also, like, relieved that there aren't really any crime scene photos that I could find online. Yeah, of course. But she hung up his skin, this skin with his face genitals legs arms torso she hung it up on like meat hooks from the door jam it's fucked up it's so messed up yeah also i just realized i did we should have um said this at the start of the episode but i guess this is kind of our our, like um our uh crazy bitch episode because we haven't oh, really covered. Oh, that's right. You're doing a yeah. Lady we haven't really well. covered um, like female killers no. yet, or rather, just e- evil females yet. Well, we've we've started it with a bang. We Catherine really Knight, first female <clears throat> killer to be covered on Best Served Cold, started us <clears throat> with a bang, not a fizzle. One of the most intense, I think, stories we've heard so far, really, and it's the first female killer that we've yeah. had. Like, like I said, like all these other st- killings are, are shilling and just downright horrifying. But that, it, like, it's one killing, but it's so fucking out there mm-hmm. and intense. And there's just so much detail. Like, yeah. oh, oh. But um, one of our one of our friends, shout out to Brownie if you're listening, um, was saying that because she used to live not in the town, but out kind of out near that way. She was saying you can still drive past the house where it occurred. The Fuck. house is still there. Because where, where was that, that house? Uh, Aberdeen. Aberdeen, I think. right. Because um, I remember someone saying something about Helensburg, which... 
Yeah, I thought someone else said something about. I think we got confused about Helensburg. Right. Where is? Let me just look up where Aberdeen is. It's in out the Hunter west. region. Yeah. Right. It's this is like west. way, 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 way west. Yeah. It's like a little rural town. Yeah. That so very as well rural. as the fact that it's already horrific on a major scale, like if someone in a city did this, it would still be horrifying. It's such a small country town where this yeah. happened. This is like northwest of Newcastle. I'd say like a good couple of hours yeah. northwest of Newcastle on the main road. Yeah. On the way so to Tamworth. We started it with a bang. Fucking hell, that is intense. All props to researching that and Thank managing you. to keep it down. That is Thank fucked you. up. Yeah, it was pretty um messed up. All right, well, um, I'm just going to jump right into my one. Uh, this one, low-key, I was going to do this one for the episode that we did um, the Golden State Killer on. But I was writing it and I kind of, you know, was looking at it and I was like, uh you just didn't get the vibe. Yeah, I didn't get the vibe Sometimes, halfway through. Which it. is a weird <clears throat> fucking thing to say about serial killers. Yeah, but um and then I was doing the Golden State Killer and and that just kind of felt a bit more right for the time. Mm. I think for the episode as well. Um Yeah, the killers you got you got to pass the vibe check otherwise you don't get on the podcast. Yeah, the vibe check on this one was not passing. I but, will say the bar for the vibe check is pretty low. But Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a low vibe to pass, <laughs> but uh, we we were thinking of um for this week like you know our respective um ideas and I don't know this one just came back to me. We um, didn't coordinate both doing females. We just... No, it just happened. I think we wanted to cover because we were covering so many men, and you made the point of like there aren't many shows or episodes or anything about um female serial killers yeah. or just murder female murderers in general and we kind of did the research and there's just not a lot of female murderers or serial killers mm. compared to the number compared of to the number male of males murderers yeah. but um, um i feel like the ones you do have they they make up for it's a the... very yeah it's a very um small percentage of of of, of, the, of the actual overall killers but they like you said, make up for what for what they lack in numbers. Well, yeah, Catherine Knight almost like was as fucking creepy as Ed Gein, and she only in my opinion, one person. That's not creepier, but way more intense. Mm. For me, that's fucking intense. I think it's also because this was in two thousand. Two thousand six, so, I think you said. No, she was. Um, her trial was in two thousand six. Right. The murder happened in two thousand. Like, I think there's something even more weirdly chilling about yeah. picturing people, like, with it the internet. 20 and years ago. Like, watching Nickelodeon and all things mm. that are modern things while this woman is literally chopping up her husband. The year my sister was born was when this is happening. Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. And at least Super with, like, Gein and Kemper and stuff, it's like 80s, 70s. Yeah. Yeah, it feels almost <laughs> less real because it's it so does. long ago. Yeah, it does. It feels mm. fictional or uh like exactly what you said like and we've seen her on Mindhunter and and everything and covered before. Yeah. Whereas this is such an underground story that it's like fresh and new and mm. Well, um cheers well, to going, that. Yeah, we're going back to the 50s or 40s for yours, aren't we? We are. We're going back. We're going super early. We're going back to um World War 2 for my one. 
So I'll be talking about um, Ilsa Cock, who was <laughs> referred to as... I'm you such a child. Cock. <laughs> this is a German name. Do not make fun of the you Germans. Need to have, you need to prepare me for things like that. You know I'm okay. seven at heart. Well, then um, take this as your hard cock warning. <laughs> because... Is any mention of like poo-poos or wee-wees <laughs> or cock, cock. cocks? I need there's, to be warned so I don't giggle. There's a lot of cock in this story, so... Prepare to hear the word cock quite okay, a bit. Okay, I'll restrain myself. Try to, I'll get it, get it out of your system. Um, <laughs> so, she was referred to as the bitch of um, Buchenwald, which was uh, the concentration camp that she was in charge of, along with her husband, uh, during the Holocaust. So, this woman was a sexual sadist... Uh, a fanatic of human experimentation. Um, just a real interesting but despicable woman that almost got away with her crimes. But you'll find out at the end of the story what ends up happening to dear old Ilse, Elsa Koch. Yeah, spoiler alert. Obviously, it's not a happy ending, I hope. So, she was born Margaret Ilsa Kohler in Dresden, Germany, and apologies again for pronunciations, I'm not German, on the 22nd of September, 1906. Her early life, she was regarded as a friendly, happy girl, popper at school, um, and her father was a laborer, her mother was a housewife throughout her life. Like most girls in Germany during this time, um, I think with most places during this time, really, she was... uh, Raised up to learn how to cook, clean, take care of the household. She left school early around when she was about 15 to go work at a cigarette factory full time. And she began taking classes in accounting at a local college until she landed a job as a bookkeeper. Now, this is important. She later joins the Nazi party early on because she came from it's thought that she because she came from such a poor family mm. and a humble upbringing um the nazis party that nazi party promised lower class citizens that they would rebuild germany and break out of the economic depression that resulted from world war yeah One. that's the messed up thing about hitler and his whole <clears throat> they regime were tantalizing they to these genuinely people. had these people who just wanted a better life for themselves they had them completely brainwashed and these are not just people who have to wait a couple of weeks before they can afford to, you know, buy a new buy pair of new shoes iPhone, yeah. or buy a new iPhone. Like this is like to eat. they're not eating; they're barely eating two potatoes a day. Kind of depression. yeah. These people are desperate. Um, not to excuse what the Nazis did, oh, but no, this no, no, is. No, 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 I'm not excusing what. Yeah, I'm saying that was part of how it was so easy for this is, them this is how they, to how solidify Hitler their position. And then by the time everyone realized what was going on, it was yeah. too late. Which I find, I think I want to cover this, the just the Nazis overall a bit more, maybe later on in another episode, because it's just such a... Can I have a chat with my dad about it? My dad is fascinated by great. World War II and Hitler. A um, lot of people back... are. <clears throat> Sorry? A lot of people are fascinated because he was yeah, one man is... with one idea who... And it's something that, again, with with we've talked about it before a lot with these serial killers, is you kind of know the names and the and the, and the stories behind it, but you're not mm. up to date. Like I personally know what happened with the Holocaust. I know 
what happened with World War Two, but I know very little about what happened. Yeah. Like, I just know what the, the brass sort of, what, what's on the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd love to dig deeper into it and kind of um, research it a bit more. Um, to get back into it, though, the Nazis obviously promised lower-class citizens that would break out of the economic depression. So to the poor and uneducated um, citizens of Germany, fascism seems like it was the best solution for their dying country at the time. Mm. So um, Ilse began to um, take the ideals of the Aryan master race um, and the Nazis' feelings of anti-Semitism to heart. She began to to take this um, into her own personal life. She meets a like-minded man who would later become her husband named Karl Koch, nine years older than Elsa and going through a divorce at the time with his first wife as she disagreed with his Nazi philosophies. Good girl. So he was also working for uh, the Nazis and, and the police at the time. He grew up in a in a life of crime, so he and he and his brother had a criminal record for theft, uh, and they worked as informants for the police. Elsa found Carl's life of crime and and background very attractive, and it was a key factor in building their relationship. So, in 1936, the two get married. After Hitler becomes comes into power leading the Nazi party. The couple are, re- are rewarded for being early adopters of Nazism. Karl is given a position as a high-ranking SS officer, and the two of them suddenly are overwhelmed with wealth and power. And after her having lived in Nothing. Poverty. Both of them mm-hmm. living in lower-class citizens. Yeah. No, like, the country already is a very poor country. To be poor in a poor country is very, very little experience. Um, so, Carl, before he's put in charge of the now-renowned, um, well, not renowned, but now-popular concentration camp, he was warden for a prison in Berlin. He was a fucking nut job, this guy. He would force prisoners to stuff themselves into dog houses and eat from bowls. Whenever he was around them, they had to kneel and bark. And if they didn't, he would beat them. Or another guard would beat them. If they did anything wrong, hot tar was shoved up their anuses. Oh! This was one of his notorious torture methods. His wife... Elsa wasn't turned off by the brutal reputation of her husband, but in fact fell in love with it, and she wanted to be part of the process. So this torture was noted not only by her his hus- her wife, but the Nazi party, and they think of this unique skill set could be used um, to run a camp full of the enemies of the Third Reich. So... They are in the middle of uh, being awarded a concentration camp to manage. When Ilsa finds out that they're going to be running a concentration camp, she gets some practice working at a prison camp called Sachausen. I don't like where this is going. It's not necessarily specified, um, at least from what I read, what she did. 
but it's similar. She worked there, was in control of several mm. prisoners, prisoners and took into her own hands also, torture tactics. just quickly before you go on, I think before you get too into it, we should probably add just like a little trigger warning if you are someone who has family, close family members that suffered through the Holocaust, yeah. this may not be the episode for you. This and gets into some pretty heavy shit. So. We are not in any way trying to offend anyone or yeah. upset anyone. We're just doing what we do, which is presenting facts about some very horrific people. In, yeah, so please, if yeah. this is a so bit if, if too it's going to be you. something that's, yeah, just, just mm-hmm. next week. Come back for next week's episode. Okay. So Elsa and Kyle Cock are not just in charge of running the concentration camp, but they even um, they're even there for the construction of the camp. So they're they're there every step of the way for this camp. At the gates of the camp, and I and I saw images of this. It's it's haunting. Um, the gate of the camp has a sign saying "Jedem the sign," which means to each his own. Supposedly, the context of this was to say that everyone gets what's coming to them. In uh, their own, it was their own personal little rub it in their rub it in the faces of the people who were unfortunate enough to be taken to these camps, as the two truly believe that the everyone brought to the concentration camp was deserved to be treated less than human mm. because they were less than human. So Birkenwald is the largest of all the concentration camps. There were no gas chambers at Birkenwald. Instead, uh, there were no gas chambers for killing people quickly or efficiently like with other concentration camps. Instead, they preferred to keep their prisoners there for longer um, and more hostile tactics in executions. So, Mm. you know shooting shooting to the head <clears throat> torture human experimentation it's all pretty fucked up the main purpose of Birkenwald was mostly just slave labor for things that were regarded as useful for the third reich so prisoners at Birkenwald were kept alive for most of them were kept alive for years so this is Way, 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 way longer than the the average lifespan for any other prison at any other camp. So, for example, Auschwitz had a life. The prisons had a lifespan of about around three or four months. Jesus. And these guys getting kept alive for years. So it's just like living hell. It is. It's it's like a prison, but you've done nothing wrong. You're just born a certain person. Mm. So when building the camp, Elsa requests that their family must live in a mansion built on the same property as the concentration camp. In Nazi Germany, the Nazis gave men and women different roles to play in society. The perfect German woman was supposed to be happy to do housework. They were supposed to stay strong in the face of adversity and they were meant to always be loyal to their husband. High-ranking leaders in the Nazi party were meant to be leading examples of this. However, wives of SS officers weren't expected to be doing all the work themselves, as a common German woman would. However, Elsa Koch took full advantage of her position because she didn't want to do any housework at all or any, have any mm. um, chores at all. So her goal for this camp was basically to never lift a finger, to have all the work done for her. So she decided 
that the prisoners from the concentration camps would all be her personal slaves. She forced everyone to refer to her as... And now I'm going to very poorly pronounce this. Gnagdigi Frau. Gnagdigi Frau. That's it. An old-fashioned term which was traditionally only really used for women of nobility. It's Mm -hmm. essentially a polite way to address a woman. So, madam... Ma'am, mm. um, but, but like a very, very formal, very, very, very formal. Like, like you would address <clears throat> someone, um, say, like we're, we're watching the Great, right? Yeah. And the Empress of Russia. You would, you would address um, a, no, a woman, a woman nobility. of yeah, of like high ranking. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. She never lifts a finger to do anything herself at home at this point. So she has slaves coming into a house or um, to taking care of everything. Within the house, the chores, the cooking, essentially. So she eventually gets bored with her home life because she's literally not doing anything. Mm. So she decides to put the prisoners to good use and build a gigantic indoors sport arena worthy enough of an Olympic event. That's so odd and random. Very random until you figure out what her main hobby was. She loved horseback riding. Oh. So she wanted a area for her to practice horseback riding bitch was making her own equestrian center she was but it wasn't just an equestrian center it was like a huge fucking arena for all things sports see as as a horse girl i will say you're crazy yes (laughs) there's something there is because horse riding is so at the same time as it's so elegant it's fucking terrifying and so dangerous like something i think something has to be like a little bit speaking from experience like something has to be wrong upstairs for you to be like, I want to get on this animal that I'm just praying does what I. <laughs> I read something that um that was hilarious to me that horse girls are essentially car guys, but the reverse. Yeah, but not reverse, but like the equivalent. But like a car does what you tell it to. This well, a like car a sentient you animal that can tell a like... car what to do, and you're praying you're and these are, these are people who are souping up their cars and making them even more difficult to use. So they could yeah. potentially die every single time they get into their car. It's a similar thing. Uh, this is a very you're touching I, on a very I get, no, I get sore it. sport because all <clears> high <throat> school I had to deal with. Oh, it was the horse girls versus the motorcycle boys. Oh, motorcycling is just as no, it's not. Shut up. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Okay. We got off so topic. this this um indoor sports arena. So it cost over two hundred thousand Reich Reichsmarks to build. That's a now. Lot of money. The conversion rate, I believe, at the time was one rice marks for each 2.5 US dollars. So with inflation, that would have been, would have been the equivalent of spending over $1 million US. Shit. And this is money that they don't own. This is their camp money. Mm. So horseback riding still didn't satisfy her boredom. So um, she discovers that there's a rule in the camp. That if any prisoner looks at the commander's wife, they would be shot on sight. Knowing this, this she gets extremely excited and starts dressing provocatively in tight clothing on the daily, showing a cleavage off on purpose. Most wives of SS officers in charge of camps would never get involved with the prisoners. Um, Most likely... They were living in some sort of denial over 
what their husbands were doing. Yeah, a hundred percent. What they were living in. You just like, like, oh, yeah. like stick your head in the it's sand and just where you're in the best of a bad situation, considering your the state of your country. Well, yeah, because not not that obviously nothing excuses the behavior of people. Yeah. At these camps, but so many of the times, if you were seen to disagree with your husband or if you wanted to leave your husband it was mm. seen as you were disagreeing with yeah with, with um, the, the, with the right. nazis as yeah. a whole yeah, exactly and this is 1940s germany yeah so this is a tough time for women as well yeah so and as horrific as it is people. these women are just trying to like to fucking live to survive yeah. themselves <clears throat> um so th- that that can be said about most wives of ss officers but not Elsa Koch. She wants to be involved uh, with everything to do with the camp, and she's excited at the thought that people around her were starving and dying. This literally excited her. Uh, so she thought a lot of herself. Supposedly, when her husband was away, she would command officers to bring her groups of young male soldiers, and she forced them to strip and undress until they were completely naked. Another thing she would do... So was these she, are soldiers, These not, are soldiers, yeah. Right. It started with that, but then it gets worse. She then moved on to stripping down to lingerie. She would wear sexy lingerie around um, the yard, and then she would lay down in front of the yards where um, behind the, the gates where um, sex-starved male prisoners would be, mm. trying to provoke male prisoners. And... If any of them ever glanced at her body or became aroused, they were immediately taken by the guards and shot in the head. That's so messed up. <clears throat> at some point, she specifically requests to have teenage boys working for her at her home for as her servants. So many of her other servants um, said that she would order them to bring her breakfast in bed, and she would wear nothing but a nightgown. Uh, and just like the men in the yard, if they looked at her, her body or got aroused... Um, she would have them killed. And considering they're teenage boys, it's very likely a lot of them couldn't help but get aroused, even if they didn't, even if they were terrified, terrified of her. Yeah, it's you know they're young, fifteen-year-old boys. Uh, so this man, I-, I wanted to read a bit more. I want I want to read a bit more into um this man. He's a, he's a Holocaust survivor, um, Arak Hirsch. He was 15 years old at the time when he was working at the concentration camp. He said the cock mansion was on the edge of the camp. So whenever he was working there, he would look out beyond the fence and see free people walking about, doing, going about their own mm. business and would often contemplate why he wasn't one of those persons. He, he thought that life outside of this camp was just a fantasy, which is really very sad. On every Sunday, Elsa Koch would allow him to eat two boiled potatoes. He would carry them back to his barracks where all the prisoners were staying at the time. Um, He would peel the potato skins off and throw them onto the floor because he didn't like the skins. Prisoners would literally jump over each other and and stumble and jump onto the potato skins just to eat them because they were so starved. Mm. And they were that hungry and that desperate for food. for, For potato skins. Seems like a bit of a dick move on his behalf to throw them off. He didn't know. He's a 15-year-old boy. Oh, yeah, I guess He has no idea that they're, that like, you know. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, here's where we get into some of the pretty intense shit. 
So as We've you, not already been talking about the intense shit? As you probably may or may not know, all concentration camps led by the Third Reich had some form of human experimentation going on during mm, that time. And Joseph Stengel was like the the yes. the renowned name for that. Yeah, yeah he did Which would be twin? a good person to cover as well. He did the twin experiments? I, I don't know. I didn't read that much into it. I would like mm. to read a bit more into it, maybe cover it on a later episode. Mm. He's messed up. They're all fucked in the head. So, um, uh, in in Birkenwald, what they were mostly doing was they were t- they were poisoning people on purpose with deadly chemicals in order to find potential antidotes. So these were all prisoners, um, Jewish p- prisoners that they held in the camps. They would take them down to seclude, like you know, these testing areas, and they would inject them with literal poisons to try and find cures they would inject homosexuals with concoctions they developed themselves uh, that they believe would hopefully turn them straight and at some point Elsa decides she wants to spectate these experiments so she saw it as a potential new hobby essentially she at this time also elevated her her sexual sadism to uh, riding around on a horse through camp, and she, uh, she would dress provocatively again, trying to get people to glance at her. What she would also do when she was riding through these camps is she's looking for prisoners um, who had interesting tattoos. She started had this weird fascination with prisoners with tattoos. Mm. She approaches one of the camp doctors, Eric Wagner, and asks him if he can conduct a study to see if tattoos have any correlation to criminal behavior. Now, this is extremely against protocol. Mm-hmm. If you own or you manage or you you own a concentration camp, you can't make a decision on what to experiment or ask someone to, to conduct experiments on your behalf. Mm. The experiments were meant to aid the Third Reich. So they had to have some sort of purpose. Yeah. However, Eric Wagner agrees against all protocol codes to do these tests. So during these tests, people were obviously the the people were obviously killed, and their bodies were taken away to be dissected. This was also so that Elsa could keep their skin. Oh no. So at some point, she was riding around camp, commanding men to stop and strip, where she would then walk the lines of the naked men, sizing them up, checking out their bodies, picking out the ones who had the best, most interesting tattoos to her, and they were selected for these experiments. Once they were dead, she obviously had their skin. Her new hobby was then to transform their skin to use them for household items like lampshades, knife sheaths, book covers... At some point, she decides that this is a perfect opportunity to come up with some Christmas gifts. <gasps> she commands no. a group of Jewish prisoners to do the work of creating large quantities of trinkets made of human leather. So fellow Jewish prisoners. Do they know? They know. Yeah, of course they do. Oh my God, that's so fucked yeah. up. Oh. She's forcing fellow Jewish prisoners to, to make trinkets out of human leather of previously Jewish prisoners. She 
wanted to send these Christmas gifts out to other SS officers in charge of concentration camps. There were rumors around on that she used several body parts throughout her house, Ed Gein style. To one of them apparently was that she used human thumbs as light switches. What the? What is it with these people <clears throat> and using weird? Yep. Yeah. Oh. According to a couple of her servants, she was having affairs with a doctor named Voldemar, Voldemar Hoven and Deputy Commandant, com, uh, Commandant, sorry, Herman Florsted. When Karl Koch would leave for his Nazi duties, Elsa would stay overnight at Hoven's house. Hoven was also supposedly fond of human exper- experimentation, so that's where they had a connection when Karl Koch at some point during his life contracted syphilis he ordered the execution of the person who gave the diagnosis so no one would find out about his embarrassing uh, flaws in his marriage whereas obviously it didn't come from him it didn't come from nowhere Mm. (laughs) if you know anything about syphilis and you're in a committed relationship and it just shows up there's a reason. Yeah. There's like, yeah. There's only two answers, and yep. if you're not one of them, you know what the other one is. Okay, so we're going to 1942. Both Ilsa and Carl are taken to court for misappropriating funds of the Birkenwald camp and their over-the-top methods of torture. <clears throat> most of Many and most of the human experiments at Birkenwald were often made up on the spot by the cock couple. Which is 100% not allowed. Mm. The order for experimentations had to have come from someone higher up in the Nazi party. They were only to be conducted for a clear and decisive reason to help the Third Reich, such as proving that the Aryan race was a superior race. Mm. They wanted... They wanted experiments essentially to justify the mass genocide that they were conducting at the time. Well, yeah, because they were probably aware of the fact that if they lost, yeah, they needed to like try and cover up these horrific well, war crimes. They needed a reason for the mass public yeah. and other countries to show, like, this is why we're doing this. Yeah. Um. So Ilsa and Carl are put in jail, awaiting trial. Two years later, um, they're taken, finally taken to court with a man named Herman Pister taking over their post at the concentration camp. The judge concludes... they're in jail for like two years. For two years until they're taken to trial. So that's 1944? Yeah, so I I just said that. Um, The judge concludes that... Or maybe I didn't, I don't know. The judge concludes that no matter how manipulative Elsa may have been, the responsibility falls on Carl at the end of the day as he is the commander of the camp and he should have the final say-so on everything. The judge suspends all charges against Elsa and she's set free. Carl is sentenced to death for his crimes and was executed by a firing squad a year later, 1945. Wow. During this time, Elsa shows little to no remorse on her crimes against humanity and the death of her husband and even goes on living a normal life in Germany with her then three children that she had with Carl. <clears throat> the same year, uh, obviously, I think this was the time where the war ended. Mm. Um, Hitler's dead. 
um, America uh, and the and all allies uh, help uh, rebel uh, help free um, concentration camp prisoners all over the country. This particular uh, time, uh, one of these camps obviously is Birkenwald. So what they did was they invited German people in the Weimar um, to witness what had been going on in this camp happening right next to where they were living. Mm. They saw, amongst other things, 80,000 people crammed into a space that was meant to fit 8,000 people. Jesus. Corpses lying around in front of the crematorium. Um, American soldiers discovered a collection of human body parts, including several human organs displayed inside glass cases, shrunken heads, and obviously household items covered in human skin. They take testimonies from prisoners who had been living in Birkenwald for years, and when they heard about Elsa Koch's stories, they immediately arrest her for her crimes against humanity. During the trial, she insists that all household items with this weird human leather are made from goat skin, not human. However, most of them had obvious tattoos on them, and along with the hundreds of testimonies from prisoners that lived there the yeah. entire time she was she owned the camp it, they they like you're lying bitch. they also there were also the people who testified against it were also people who literally it was their job to butcher human bodies and yeah. make them into trinkets yeah. they were the people who testified against her there's multiple photographs proving that she that these objects actually exist however there's no actual physical proof tying her as the person who ordered them to make it there's just hearsay yeah when in jail in 1947 uh so this is during the time i think she's waiting for tr- waiting waiting uh, for trial like they can't um really put her away for life yet so um during while she's waiting during this, this whole trial period she becomes pregnant after having an affair with a fellow German prisoner, she has a son who she names Uwe and was forced to give him away when, the second he was born. In video footage of the trial that she was in after this happens, she's physically, uh, visibly angry, indignant, and showing no remorse. US military governor, who was named General Lucius D. Clay, believed that there wasn't enough physical evidence to send her to her death. The most he could give her was four years of hard labor, and she served the full four years. <clears throat> is that it? After she was released, she's then uh, taken back, arrested again for a third time by Germany this time, and she was given a life sentence. The Germany was like, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, Do you know, like, we're cleaning this fucking shit up. Yeah. We're, we're, we're cleaning this fuck. We're, like, <clears throat> well, they also had such... They were being watched by the entire world. I think also the... the, the, the um, this... I wanted to do... I want to do a bit more research too on um, this society within Germany, which was basically called the, the, the People's Party, I think it was called. Um, they had no idea of this the things that were happening in these camps. Mm. They knew there was a genocide of sorts. I think even then it was kind of like not 
Well, I guess like you would think of the average German person just like knowing that there's these horrific things, but like you you wouldn't exactly like leave your local town, I guess. So So, there's one man who testifies against her all three trials. His name is Dr. Morgan. He's quoted as saying, and this this is a direct quote, she was a hussy who rode horseback in sexy underwear in front of the prisoners and then noted them down for punishment. Sorry, noted down for punishment the numbers of those who looked at her. She lay around in her garden in front of prisoners, simply primitive. But she had nothing to do with the lampshade business and she did not deserve such a draconic punishment. She was a victim of horror stories. What the fuck? Keep in mind, this is... This is someone who's meant to be uh, defending her character. Right. So even someone who's defending her is saying Still calls her a she's hoe. a fucking hoe. <clears throat> so Elsa had has four children at this time. She has three of Carl, Cock, um, now dead, and her son <clears throat> that she's had while waiting trial. Her son, Artwin... Who is one of the one of the um, kids that she has with Carl? Uh, grows older, learns what she's done, and f- finds out how much people hate his family. He unfortunately decides that the guilt and the shame is too much for him, and he commits suicide. That's sad. Her two daughters with Carl were able to get married, change their names, and move on with their lives completely, mm. completely estranging themselves from their mother. Their mother. Her son, Uwe, who's now known as Uwe Kola, spends most of his life being passed around several different foster families. When he's 19, working as an insurance salesman, he decides he wants to learn who his parents were. He gets a hold of his birth certificate and finds out who his mother was. Oh, can you imagine? Yep. He reads about her trial and decides, after building up a, a whole stomach worth of courage... He decides to visit her in prison. She's extremely happy to see him as she doesn't get any little to no visitors as her eldest son's unfortunately passed away and her, and her daughters, daughters are estranged themselves. Who she is, yeah. Yeah. Elsa tells Uwe that everything bad said about her is a complete lie. She, He knows for a fact that she wasn't innocent due to the fact that just the simple fact that she was running a concentration camp. Yeah. However, he desperately wants a connection with his mother and loves her soon after unconditionally. He begins visiting her once a month and after a few visits, he becomes so convinced that his mother couldn't be responsible for committing such horrible crimes. She tries to convince him to get a lawyer to set her free. In nine... So this doesn't happen because it's simply not fucking possible. Yeah. It's her last attempt to try and persuade and convince Yeah, and a man. she's like emotionally blackmailing her Well, son. this is something she's been doing her whole entire life. Mm. It's kind of similar with your chick where you kind of think, how the fuck is she getting away with all these things? She must yeah, be... And but the then, same thing. Yeah, she's not a very like pretty looking woman. They have a pool over yeah. people. 1967. She's 61 at the time. She realizes that Uwe was her last hope to manipulate someone someone to get herself out of prison. And she's failed. She ties her bedsheets together in a cell and she hangs herself. And this is the death of Elsa Koch. 
I mean, I, I don't want to like celebrate people's death, but this was someone who needed to die. She was for, evil. That yeah. is evil. Because you hear about, we talk about a lot of, um, that was really heavy. You did well to get through Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about like serial killers and obviously everyone we, we talk about, it kind of goes into the whole question of like, what does it mean to be evil? Is a yeah. human being truly evil? But like that, I think there's a big difference between someone who is a serial killer, like, you know, Ed Kemper or mm. David Berkowitz, and then someone who is not even necessarily a direct killer. Just Never killed someone directly. Takes pleasure <clears throat> in And other was responsible for thousands, what, hundreds of yeah, thousands of deaths. Physical and mental yeah. anguish. Torture. Yeah. Human experimentation, manipulation. <clears throat> yeah, it's that was... Um... Intense. And it, it, it's exactly that. It's it's we, we find that line between you're this is someone who's a clear serial killer and, and the things that he have done is is so beyond mm. evil but we also find this other side of it where people who and like with your your killer one murder but it's such a horrific case and, yeah. and the person who's had such a long history of such bizarre events and manipulation and violence and <clears throat> upbringing and it's 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 a whole different this episode is not only just the the bad bitch episode but it's the the psychological torment and and yeah this was um we we both picked some like full-on just horrific aspect of these yeah and i think that's what's the the most interesting thing about this this show is it's not just let's talk about a serial killer every episode it's let's talk about people that fascinate us yeah, and are just because of how despicable beings, and yeah. disgusting they were. I think there is something. I think as a normal human, like you hear about someone like that, and it just makes you so deeply question how you could do that to another human being. Like I yeah. think that's also why so many people are fascinated by Nazi yeah, Germany and exactly. the Holocaust because yeah. it just how can makes you fathom you... letting this happen? Yeah, like how can you as a because she started out as a normal human. Yeah. Like, how can you... <clears throat> Someone who was born poor in a poor country during a time of great depression... And turns into this horrific, depraved... Is given money, power, a yeah. position of, of, of high authority, and is just completely changed. Yeah, it's... um. It's, she goes it's... from being the, the Audrey Hepburn who's in love with the bad boy James Dean mm. to... Just straight up. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> fucking awful. Intense, man. Um, let's talk about something else to lighten the mood. That was also a really long episode. So if you're still with us. it's uh, No, it's about the same. It's about an oh, hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's about the same. Yeah. Our, our, our typical time is about an hour and a half. I think we've been like an hour, haven't we? Hour and eight minutes. No, this has been an hour and a half. Okay. I can see it right there. No, <laughs> like our normal episodes. I'm only no. I think our normal episodes are also an hour Mark. and a half ish. Okay. I've um seen. I've listened to two of ours personally, and they only both, two. Yeah, only two. Unfortunately, I have little time to listen to podcasts. I anymore. have listened to all of them, so you are a fake. <coughs> As should fan. you, you are faithful <laughs> listeners. As should everyone hearing this. Please listen to every episode. Yeah. Um. What's something good that's happened to you this week? Well, I cooked really cool orange chicken you did you tonight. made some really nice chicken yeah um loosely based on the panda express 
uh, orange chicken, which I haven't actually ever had in my life because I think it's an American-only chain. But I found a recipe courtesy of Joshua Weissman on YouTube, and he has this really great recipe on how to make orange chicken, and I thought I did a pretty fucking stand-up job. It was quite delicious, I will say. It's just like a next-level sweet and sour chicken. It was quite delicious. Battered, nice, just really good. Um, and you? you've had heaps of like media and press. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so it's been really exciting. As you probably know, like Sleepwalkers out at this at this present time, and <clears throat> I mean, we've just had so many press opportunities coming up with with the single. Which was launch. really exciting because it was a slow start. It was a slow burn. It was, <clears throat> it was like I was. I think I said before in one of our early episodes, I was just having fucking panic attacks, just trying to get it out there and. You know, at the start, it was just me sort of doing it. And then, you know, obviously I had the help of my lovely partner, Laura, um, who helped take the load off a bit. And I think it's been very successful so far. And I'm really happy with our progress. Um, You know, we've got got the statistics up to two days ago and it's like nearly 300 streams already. And it came on a Monday at this at this point in time. It's it's Thursday. So, you know, within two days, it's got 300 streams. It's pretty fucking good for yeah. a band who's just released their first single ever with, like, no prior history as a band. Yeah, and, we like, no built-up social media following yeah, or anything like that. We yeah, we literally just officially started as a band this year. No, you've done very well. <clears throat> yeah, I'm very happy. And then aside from that, we've just been slowly hanging out with our friends again, which has been really nice because I think yeah. after, like, People we haven't seen for so months, long... Of yeah. not getting to see people. We have some friends who moved into a new apartment. They lived in their same apartment for like 10 years and they moved out and we hadn't been able to see it for ages and that was yeah. really nice. We got to have dinner with them. That was and... They did that just before quarantine as well. We didn't, we didn't get to see anything to do with that new place. Yeah, and just chilling out, hanging out with the kitten. <clears throat> yeah, she's fucking tearing our lives apart, but God love her. She's pretty cute though. Mm. And yeah, just, um, I feel like it's a very anticlimactic time to be trying to talk about things because just yeah. nothing is really... It's like, what did you do today? Or I've discovered that the fridge has a, 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 an orange light instead of an LED light. And that's literally the highlight of it. We got a new lamp. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. I got a cool like industrial lamp off Facebook Marketplace. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, just living life. That's about it. Yeah, just straight up, just trying to stay healthy in the mind and in the body. Mm. And I hope you all are too. Yeah, I know. Like, there's a lot, there's a whole thing around like quarantine body where everyone's got like, oh, I can't go to the gym and stay healthy. But I, I do miss the gym. Yeah, I, I do. I'm, I, but I implore you, if you, if this is a difficult time for you, then definitely. Find the time to do a like workout. Chloe Ting, yeah, we've yeah. been doing Chloe Ting's workouts. <laughs> Chloe Ting on YouTube, she has programs that are for free. Oh my god, it hurts. Intense, so and they're, and they're like 10, 10 minutes, ten minute yeah. workouts. So you have no excuse not to do like one. Just, yeah. If you're listening to this and you're not drunk and you're not driving, <laughs> do a Chloe Ting workout. Yeah, right maybe now. if you're driving, just do some butt kegels. Yeah, just like squeeze your butt. Yeah, squeeze it. Always it. Yeah. Oh, this. I think the series finale of Drag Race comes out this weekend. It does. Yes? This Is that this weekend. <coughs> this Saturday. Yeah. So when this episode comes out, which would be 
This tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> so when, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be the day after. So Saturday. This Saturday. This this Saturday coming up. Woohoo! Yeah, I keep forgetting we're not booking. I we're keep not making these in advance anymore. Yeah, I keep flicking between. <clears throat> I can't decide who I want to win. I'm honestly kind of happy with any of them. I, I wish Heidi was top three. Yeah. But, you know, but I love it. Crystal. I love Jada. I love Gigi. I love Crystal too. I think she's her own. She's just thing. so quirky. I and think that Gigi's mullet... got all the makings of a of a of, a, of the the drag queen of this season. And Jada just has. That... Jada's been flawless this season, yeah. but there's just something about it that I don't. I think it's that find. you don't like the pageant queens. No, it's not that I don't like the pageant queens. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them for sure, but there's something about her that doesn't stand out as much to me as okay that as Gigi I or want, Crystal I just, do. I just want like a surprise, like Heidi comes back and Heidi wins. <laughs> I'd be so happy. If you Heidi know what I mean? Won. Like, like yeah, like Crystal come out in the most bizarre, like out of the box thing, and she's had such a huge transformation this entire season as yeah, well. Yeah, that's very true. Gigi will kill it with yeah. Some Gigi's kind of been like flawless from start to finish. Amazing looks, like some really awesome, very fashionable, very like you know something you would think something you would think someone would wear but just completely flipped on its head to the point where you're like oh my god I wouldn't have thought it in that way it's been such a strong season like um yeah I can't wait all stars all stars starts next weekend I wish they talked a little bit on the Sherry Cox thing in the Sherry who? the Sherry Pie sorry (laughs) I think they were trying to do the right thing in giving her as least amount of airtime as possible. Yeah, it makes sense and I think it's it's the best thing, but I just I just want it. I just want some yeah, shade. Yeah, like you're curious about I want some it. Shade. But, I um, want some shade thrown on it. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Well, to the other 90% of people who are listening to this want Drag, Drag Race, Race friends, we'll, uh, uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Sorry, Let's bye. wrap it up then. Uh, um, I need to pee and we need to work out and I need some bed. water. Yeah, we know I need some I'm water. I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next week. Next week, fam. Bye. Bye.